Mini episode 1332 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FDH Lounge mini episode 1332. This is FDH managing partner Rick Morris here. And we have with us two uh, excellent folks here to discuss the early days of the Biden administration and uh, looking back on the pandemic almost a year in. We have one of our favorite recurring guests as well as one of our regular contributors to the show, one of our cast members who has been on dozens of times and uh, it will be a pleasure to uh, discuss the matter with uh, both of these gentlemen here tonight. Uh, first we lead off with on the introductions William Cohen, a, uh, an excellent uh, author. Uh, of course we've had him on to talk about uh, many of his books previously whether it be uh, Money and Power, How Goldman Sachs Came to Rule the World, The Price of Silence, The Duke Lacrosse Scandal, The Power of the Elite and the Corruption of Our Great Universities, House of Cards, A Tale of Hubris and Wretched Excess on Wall Street, and Four Friends Promising Lives Cut Short. Uh, a great uh, story about uh, JFK Jr. and three others from Andover. And uh, so we've talked many different topics over a period of time with him, but uh, as a special correspondent at Vanity Fair, as a longtime executive on Wall Street, uh, a gentleman with a great breadth of knowledge about uh, financial matters, where they intersect with public policy, and uh, last time we had him on was right about at the beginning of the pandemic or to preview what was going to be coming in uh, the, the time ahead as best we could. And as I just said to him off air, uh, I think just about everything we said held up pretty well, as you would expect. So it is uh, always a pleasure to have back on the show William Cohen. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you on, uh, sir. Thank you for making time for us tonight. Thank you for having me. It's always nice to be here. Appreciate it. Uh, and we have also with us here uh, a very beloved longtime contributor to the show, one of, uh, as we've dubbed them, our FDH Lounge dignitaries. Uh, you can read this gentleman at uh, Queen's Chronicle as well as uh, many other fine NYC-based uh, outlets. And uh, as somebody who uh, we've had on yeah, we've, we've, we've probably talked more sports with him previously uh, and uh, TV, but I know we've dipped toes in uh, this water as well, uh, talking about uh, the political scene and uh, as somebody who uh, brands himself one of the last of the, I guess, Rockefeller or Jacob Javits Republicans. Uh, certainly, I know he'll have some I'm thoughts. I'm Smithsonian, Rick. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Lloyd, uh, always wonderful to have you on, my man. It is always a thrill. Rick, good to be back. It's been a while, but uh, we'll shake off the cobwebs and the dust and hopefully get back into peak shape here. Uh, exactly, exactly. And uh, over the dozens of times that we've had you on over over a period of time, and uh, oftentimes we've had you uh, paired up as part of a uh, roundtable, uh, I know this one uh, is going to be a special one because of the subject matter, and it is always uh, there's, there's always a lot of gravity that goes 
with uh, a change in administrations. Uh, sometimes they move uh, more smoothly than others. Uh, for those of us that lived through uh, 2000 to 2001 and thought there were some bumps in the road there, uh, 20 years later, uh, we hadn't seen anything yet uh, compared to that. But uh, we are here now in this time, William, and uh, a new administration has come in and uh, has a mandate, I think, in, in a couple of different areas, certainly to take this pandemic seriously, uh, which represents, I have to say, obviously a change in pace uh, from what was in there previously. And uh, the, the, the early thing here, the, the stimulus package that's going through appears to be emblematic of that. Uh, I know it won't be the only effort uh, that the administration has going, but how do you assess the early days here, uh, William, where you have a House that's relatively close and a Senate that is exactly 50-50 with Vice President Harris as the tiebreaker? You know, I, I would say that uh, many Americans, maybe even most Americans, are just every day breathing a sigh of relief that we have a change of administration, that we have uh, a president who cares about governing, who cares about the American people, who cares about getting stuff done instead of having his own ego stroked on a daily basis. I cannot tell you what a relief it is to uh, uh, reconnect with our allies around the world, to not uh, have the daily distraction of the stupidity of the Trumpian uh, Twitter feed, uh, to have the narcissistic behavior, to have the inane policies uh, it's just it's just a relief. It's a breath of fresh Obviously, got a lot of problems. Uh, you know, it's just a, a horrific fact that uh, our country is absolutely, by leaps and bounds, the worst. Uh, you know, uh, a victim, I guess, if you will, of the uh, uh, of the COVID pandemic. We handled it the worst of any country in the world, which is beyond shocking. But I think we're beginning to get our together, both with the vaccines, with people's behavior, and uh, there's obviously going to be a major stimulus package, whether it's too big or too small or just right, or whether it can get through with any bipartisan support. I mean, I think that the time has come to put the reckless behavior of the past five years behind us and get on to, uh, you know, making the country uh, stable and secure and happy again. That is definitely something I think we'd all like to see. And uh, Lloyd, for a kind of a follow-up to that, that's a thing where uh, I know that uh, between the three of us, uh, I'm sure uh, not all of our uh, public policy thoughts would necessarily overlap uh, in every way, but uh, I think that is generally a sentiment that I'm not going to say necessarily transcends politics, but uh, regardless of where you fall on some of the public policy issues of the day, uh, it is a fresh a breath of fresh air stylistically, uh, not to have things be a circus and not to have uh, any of the distractions from uh, what is a very grave time in this country uh, and a time to uh, to try to tackle these problems, get the economy back going, get the public health of this country back going again. And uh, again, I, I know that is something that uh, you, you definitely are sympathetic to as well as uh, the, the end of a circus aura around this country. Well, yes, I mean, it's the funny part, Rick, and I think even William would have to agree that for all of Trump's character flaws, for all of his ego, for all the self-absorption, for all the Charlottesville, for all the stupid things he said, uh, 
if it hadn't been for COVID-19, he probably would have been reelected. That's the ultimate joke that kind of gets yeah. lost in this. And Trump had the this fortune of running against the only Democrat who could have beaten him. That's the uh, and that's why he was obsessed with Hunter and trying to do whatever he could. He knew that everybody who was on that primary debate stage in the Democratic primary would have been making a concession speech to him on election night. So Trump, it's maybe fortunate for America, but he really had some incredibly bad luck. And you know what? He could have saved himself <laughs> even after he got COVID. If he just said, guys, wear a mask. I learned from this. We can do this together. What a one in a landslide. And just as hubris did him in, it was really almost a great tragedy in so many ways. Uh, I probably said he's more sympathetic to him than he probably deserves, but that's just my take on it. Well, that's interesting. And William, uh, if, I, if I may. Yeah, sure. If I may, I, I, I'm not sure I agree completely with Lloyd since he gave me an opening as to whether I agree or not. I, I think the American people, uh, the majority of the American people, the preponderance of the voters in the electoral college had had just quite enough of Donald Trump and the, the daily shenanigans. And I don't think whether he had handled COVID better or not, uh, I don't think would have made a difference, obviously. He chose to mishandle it spectacularly, but I think, you know, blowing up our alliances around the world, picking fights with our friends, uh, you know, cozying up to uh, people who wish us uh, uh, ill uh, and, and just embarrassing us on the global stage on a daily basis. I think Americans, by and large, had quite enough of that, regardless of how he handled the of COVID crisis. Interesting. Well, well I'll disagree with, uh, with what I mean, agree with his, with his points that he made, but I always thought that Stephanie Rule of MSNBC had an interesting line uh, when it came to electability. And she said, people don't vote for what offends, uh, what offends them. They vote by what affects them. So every point that William made here about the world stage, he's 100% right. But does it affect the vote? Look how close those key swing states were Milo stomping grounds of Pennsylvania. That should have been a layup for Biden. And in fact, I mean, he did win it, but it was, uh, it took some time. States like Ohio went, went to trouble pretty easily. Florida, we know, is a joke, and Texas also. So a lot of places that were given, that it should have been a blowout. It was, if you look at the popular vote, but the popular vote counts for deadly squad. It's like the team that scores the most runs wins the game, not the team that gets the most hits. And the way the Electoral College, whether we, we could argue that from here to tomorrow, but the Electoral College was not quite the Barry Goldwater LBJ blowout that a lot of Democrats would want to pretend it was. Well, William, if I may, because I want to kind of focus a follow-up that I want to ask you about that, because I, I, I see both sides of this a little bit. In terms of what Lloyd is saying, I will tell you again, as somebody that did a uh, prognostication on the show before the election, I, I have egg on my face. Uh, it was closer than I thought it was going to be in terms of, uh, at least, well, both the Electoral College and the popular vote. And it's a thing of where, and I get what you're saying, William, because you are absolutely right. This is what I've tried to say to a lot of uh, my friends that, that voted for Trump and that, uh, you know, just, well, if he didn't do this, if he didn't do that, well, okay, then he wouldn't be Trump. You can't take these things out of the mix. And that, that he, he is going to do these things. But having said that, 
I'm not going to agree with Lloyd, it would have been a landslide. But it's a thing of, had he taken this thing more seriously? Because, again, there are folks like me on the right side of the spectrum where there were a bunch of policies, judicial nominations, whatever, I liked over the course of four years. I ended up voting third party in the end, but it was a thing where what put me off was when I felt like the man had blood on his hands from not taking this pandemic seriously, from politicizing masks, things like that. The fact that he came as close as he did in the course of this, William, makes me think, yes, if he if he could have stopped being Trump for five minutes, which as I've stipulated, he's never going to stop doing, but I mean, but for that, I think, again, and that that's well, the conundrum, isn't it? That, that he can't stop being Trump, but if he could have stopped being Trump on the pandemic, he I think he'd have won in spite of himself. Obviously, uh, if he weren't Trump, and if he were some other person who was much more politic, uh, then he probably wouldn't have won in the first place and he might have won in the second place. Uh, you know, he did lose by 7 million votes. Yes. We all know that the electoral, so that's a huge number, despite yes. what he likes to say about how many votes he got. Uh, obviously the electorate was very motivated to vote. Uh, the electoral college was the exact same, uh, uh, outcome that he had in 2016, which he called a landslide. Uh, and of course, you're right. It was it was close. Uh, it was uh, you know not the blowout that you know maybe some progressives on the left might have expected, but anybody would have known that it was going to be close. So there are some states you're just not going to turn. Uh, but I mean, look at you know Georgia, right? And mm-hmm. not only look at Georgia, but uh, look at the Georgia Senate uh, races. Uh, you know, which I think blew people's minds. So, um, again, I think that uh, that would not have happened uh, but for people being, you know, pretty much sick of the Donald Trump show, which was, you know, look, uh, it was good for people in the media like me. It was good for TV ratings, but it was just horrific for, uh, for this country, if you ask me. Well, I think a lot of people would find a lot to uh, to agree with uh, on what you said there. I mean, again, even if there might be some politics or policies rather that they liked over the course of the last four years, I don't think anybody could deny that the the foul sort of aura of the man, his character, making everything into a circus. Uh, these are all things that I, I think uh, people would all you know do well to uh, be glad that we are rid of uh, and. In the course of this, and I want to kind of steer it to this, uh, William, that you, and you've alluded to the, the foreign alliances uh, being rebuilt, and uh, there, are, there are going to be some differentiations uh, from uh, what uh, Trump was doing over the course of the last four years, because this does look like something of, and particularly when you look at where Biden is on the Democratic spectrum, uh, you, you go from the ultimate anti-establishment presidency to one that looks very much, you know, democratic establishment in the in mold, obviously, of Obama, which uh, this is sort of the, a lot of people have said sort of the third Obama term when you look at personnel and a lot of other things like that. Bill Clinton before him. Uh, but it's a thing where, particularly on, on the foreign affairs, uh, the one concern that somebody like me has that, that liked uh, the one thing with Trump was that uh, he was not... Uh, yeah, I, I, I want to watch how I say this because he was way more adventuristic with Iran than I wanted him to be. But aside from that, if you can put that aside, didn't get us into new foreign wars, etc. Joe Biden's the same guy that voted for 
uh, you know, the Iraq War and all these other things like this. Uh, do you have any concerns whatsoever that in differentiating from Trump that there might be more of a turn back to militarism than we've seen the last four years? Me, Bill? Uh, no, yes. I don't think so. You don't think so? Okay. Uh, I, don't, I, I don't think that, uh, I mean, Joe Biden... Uh, you know, neither Joe Biden nor Barack Obama, uh, if you want to look at this as Barack Obama's third term, uh, you know, are militaristic, are, are, are wedded to the military. I think, I think Joe Biden, uh, is a centrist. He, uh, uh, is a globalist. Uh, he wants to repair, uh, our extremely damaged, uh, relationships with our, our, our allies. I think our allies are, I hope, you know, thrilled uh, to have somebody like this uh, uh, as president. And I think he also, given the fact that he was in the Senate for 32 years, really knows how that organization works, which I think will be a great asset, especially as you pointed out at the beginning, with a 50-50 Senate. And, you know, he may not agree with Mitch McConnell, uh, but I think he knows how to, you know, compromise and get things done. Witness what's going on with this uh, 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 1.9 trillion dollars stimulus package. I mean, uh, he's going to get it done whether this, the Republicans uh, help him or not. And, and frankly, those are the kinds of tactics that the Republicans have been expert at using uh, forever. And it's about time the Democrats uh, tried some of those things uh, themselves. And uh, I think you know this is just a breath of fresh air. I mean. D- 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 uh, Biden cares about uh, governing uh, in a way that Trump uh, didn't care about. Trump cared about preening and getting elected uh, and and stumping and, and having all the attention on him. And you know, frankly, I'm not sure. I think Biden couldn't care less about those things at this point. Well, and that's the thing, too, where Biden is definitely the most experienced president in the history of this country when you look at the fact that as a young man coming into the Senate in his 20s, subsequently becoming the oldest president there, being vice president in between, uh, yes, he carries experience into this that is beyond... Now, again, you, you go back uh, generations and generations in this country, and we had shorter lifespans, so, uh, you know, of necessity, I think, at that time, you didn't have as much experience, but he carries more into this, uh, especially at the federal government level, than anybody we've ever seen before. Lloyd, as regards uh, foreign affairs, Mike, my question to you, the spin I want to put on this with you, is you and I talked about this a little bit off air earlier today when you were kind of putting over Adam Kinzinger to me. Uh, And uh, my my thing is, again, I I have a little bit of a different sense when I hear Kinzinger and Liz Cheney getting talked about here, as I expressed to you, because... To me, what I look at is uh, there's there's sort of a rush to glorify them for standing up to Trump. But one of the things they didn't like about Trump when he was in office was they didn't think he was militaristic enough. And this is a thing that the media is not really covering. I disagree. I think, uh, I don't think it's necessarily Justin, though. That's an easy thing. I've, uh, you know, they're not John Bolton, you know, where they never met a war they didn't like. I, I think what we're looking at here is the NATO alliances, things I think all of us in a bipartisan spirit could agree. Trump was not the best. The idea uh, seemed to be the deference to Putin and Russia, complete thug. <clears throat> the, um, excuse me, the whole, uh, I guess, North Korea, Kim Jong-un, Trump had this thing with strongmen. I think that's where Kinzinger and Cheney and others were saying, wait a minute, real Republicans don't tolerate this nonsense. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be John Bolton to say that. And I think that's what 
they were trying to get across. Not so much let's get let's invade every country uh, uh, like it's a game a board game of risk. So uh, I'll, that, that's my take on it for what it's worth, Rick. Interesting. You know what? I'd like to ask you that as well, uh, William. Your, your thoughts on this, because again, I, I don't know if it's coincidental or otherwise, but a lot of the loudest anti-Trump voices on the Republican side are, are coming from folks who uh, thought that, uh, I guess, that he was too soft on the world stage, uh, as ludicrous as that might sound to a lot of people. So uh, any thoughts on the media treatment that uh, some of the forever war proponents are getting just because they are uh, anti-Trump at this point? You know, I, I put that criticism of Trump pretty far down the list of criticisms of Trump. I, I might, you know, as a, uh, a progressive liberal minded guy from Massachusetts who lives in New York City, I, I would, uh, say that uh, I can almost view the fact that uh, Trump didn't get us into any foreign wars as perhaps one of his greatest accomplishments. Um, I think he's, uh, uh, you know, obviously uh, a bit of a, a coward when you come right down to it. Uh, he uh, was a draft evader. Uh, so, okay, good. Uh, I'm a pacifist. Uh, he apparently is a pacifist. You know, I think that's uh, probably one of the main things, maybe the only thing uh, that he accomplished uh, as president was uh, keeping us out of foreign wars. So uh, those people that, uh, you know, criticize uh, him for that, I mean, I just ignore those people, frankly. Yeah, because I, I think it's pretty inane whenever he would get hit for any of that uh, kind of stuff. I I don't I necessarily affix the word uh, pacifist on myself, but I, I would say... Uh, realist, uh, sort of, the, if there was a Brent Scowcroft in today's world, I think that's what I would identify with. And, uh, I, I think along those lines, in terms of, in terms of realism, I think that aspect of his foreign policy was a success. Again, except for where it wasn't, like Iran, where we're lucky we didn't get into a war. But in, in terms of looking at things going forward, and I guess to a certain extent, this just shows you this sort of continuing shadow of, uh, Trump over events now, because uh, particularly when you look at the pandemic, and you can't really look ahead without really assessing where we've been over the course of the last year. And I'll start with you on this one, William. My, my thoughts being that, it, in a way, it's sort of hard to separate uh, the way that Trump went about things with the way that, uh, unfortunately, I think so many people in our country did. And I just wonder, I, I'm somebody who I wouldn't say I was necessarily... Uh, the brightest person on humanity going into the last year, but my regard has is, is just really kind of plummeted, and I would say especially for my fellow countrymen, because the kind of selfishness that we've seen over the last year, whether it be the anti-mask movement or some of these other things, and again, I, I feel like there are, it's not like there weren't some warranted questions being asked from time to time, but they weren't by the folks that were storming the state houses with guns in Michigan. Uh, but, you know, as far as what should we be doing uh, to, for public health things, there's maybe legitimate questions to be asked, but they weren't being asked legitimately in a lot of quarters. We saw a lot of selfishness in this country and a lot of the things that we would perhaps ascribe to Trump personally. I feel like, unfortunately, reflected writ large in our population. So that's something where in 2021, again, thank God for the vaccines, we have them right there. 
Uh, but as far as counting on the American people to kind of pick up their game a little bit here as we approach what is hopefully the end of this pandemic, I wonder how much optimism is warranted, William, because I, I just think that we, as for as much as we celebrate individualism and an American thing, and you can't tell me what to do, I, I think we saw the worst part of that aspect of our national character on display in so many places last year, still on display with folks like Christy Noem in uh, South Dakota. And, and I, just, I just wonder how much optimism is warranted as we're coming to the end of this thing, uh, what is hopefully the end of it, because people are still going to behave the way that they behave probably. I mean, look, Amer Americans have a, a very, you know, independent, don't tread on me, uh, you can't tell me what to do streak. Uh, we all know that, and I think that sort of streak uh, often leads to great things when it's uh, channeled, uh, you know, in, in a positive way. And I think it leads to, you know, very selfish, self-motivated, uh, ugly behavior when it's not... Uh, channeled in a positive way. And, and personally, I think, you know, Donald Trump just not only did he stoke that uh, negative energy related to, you know, our, our punching for individualism, but I think he exploited it for his uh, own political purposes, you know, in a completely uh, disgusting and despicable way. Uh, and, you know, he's never been uh, held accountable for that kind of behavior. And, um, you know, um, I was on CNN uh, a couple of nights ago after the Supreme Court uh, ruled that uh, his tax returns could be turned over to the Manhattan District Attorney. Uh, and uh, I said that I think uh, this is going to prove to be the worst day in Donald Trump's life uh, because it'll be the first time that he will be uh, held accountable for anything in his life. And I think he's going to... Uh, uh, finally, uh, get uh, some of uh, some of the modicum because who knows how it will work out. A modicum of, of the punishment he deserves for his decades of despicable behavior. And you know, and, and as a New Yorker, you know, I know firsthand, uh, you know, uh, what he did in New York, uh, and uh, you know, we I think as a New Yorkers uh, failed miserably conveying to the rest of the country what we obviously knew about him and his behavior and for the media capital of the country to fail uh, in that way uh, I find uh, you know a real a black mark uh, against the New York uh, media. I mean, it's hard to argue with that, and uh, yeah, I, I think a lot of people just kind of had the sense that uh, he, he couldn't win this thing, and uh, a lot of people just sort of clung to that until uh, in the end he did win this thing in 2016, and uh, as I, as I turn and I put the same question to you, uh, Lloyd, and we, we've had uh, a number of conversations over the years on air and off air and, uh, you know, looking at some of the whimsic, whimsical, uh, you know, uh, components of human nature, uh, some of, some of the, the, the weird and wild and wonderful things about Americans. But, uh, the, the whole thing that, that William was just talking about here a second ago, this, this penchant for individuality that we all have that, uh, that God knows you have it in spades, Lloyd, as do I. Uh, but, uh, you know, I mean, it, well, it, it's been our own I, worst I, I enemy. Do say, yeah. Yeah, I, I do want to say this, though, well, frankly, the individual, that one of the differences we were talking about being a Rockefeller Republican is that, you know, it's funny, back when I, back in the 60s and 70s, uh, that it was the Republicans who believed in science, following the 
following fact, not yes. acting on emotions. I mean, yes. It was actually the liberals who used to make decisions based on emotion rather than on science and facts. And there's been a whole complete reversal. I have it reversed, but uh, so that is, that's what I find quite dispiriting uh, when I see your guy ran fraud, uh, not wearing a mask. <laughs> Uh, yeah, good old Rosetta ran fraud. I'm only against government interference and surveillance, unless, of course, it benefits my side. I'm only against uh, uh, fiscally responsibly, unless Trump wants tax cuts, and it's good. So that's my take on it. There's been a lot of hypocrisy in this. Real Republicans used to be disciplined. We were like the Marine Corps. We would do what was necessary to get the job done. Whatever it meant to beat COVID, that's what we did. I am disgusted by what I've seen in this party uh, as far as COVID went, and it really culminated with January 6th, which I know we haven't spoken about, but any chance of really Trump running again in 2024, if these various attorney generals don't get him, I, I think all you do is just replay the January 6th tape. Uh, uh, at any time you want in 2024, I don't think amnesia is going to kick in that badly. I know Americans have uh, a lot of problems with long-term memory, but I think that uh, that's going to pretty much do it in. But I, I think that uh, we should, that we love individualism, but the real sign of a true American is when there's a crisis, we do what's necessary to get the job done. And I'm just sorry that we have not seen that as well as we should have. I, I can't argue there. Well, I think I, that's happening now, uh -huh. frankly. Yeah. I, I, I think we're seeing that now, and it stems uh, you know, from leadership at the top, which has a totally different message. And I think Americans are ready to, you know, by and large, sign up for that. Yeah, there's always going to be the outliers. I mean, you never sure. know. On both sides, you're never going to do it, you know, have anything to do about them. I mean, they're just going to go about and do their thing. But, you know, I think we're going to get uh, the uh, majority of Americans uh, uh, vaccinated and we're going to return to a semblance of normal. Yeah, some things will be different, but I think, you know, you know, 100 years ago after the Spanish flu, you know, killed, you know, 650,000 Americans and we might get there by the time this is over, sadly. You know, uh, we had the Roaring Twenties, well, which, of course, ended badly in 1929. And we'll probably have the Roaring Twenties again, which will probably end badly in 2029. <laughs> yeah, you, you can check on me and we can, you can have me back and talk about that. But, uh, you know, I think people are going to uh, kick in here. Yeah, I think so. Well, I hope you're right. I mean, the key for buying success is getting the needles in the arms. I think you try part of the problem is you also have state issues. Uh, distribution issues can't just obviously pin it on the president. I look, we're all, I'm praying for President Biden's success. Uh, <laughs> I don't mind being partisan, bipartisan in that aspect. I always, look, I always root for the president's success no matter which party, who it is. And, uh, uh, this really could be a matter of life and death to root for that success. Well, Lloyd, in joining you in that spirit of intellectual honesty, uh, it, few things have pained me more on this show in recent memory to say this, but all the things you were saying about the little guy from Kentucky, I got nothing. <laughs> I got nothing, buddy. I got a fair enough. Now, listen, I understand when your heroes let you down, so I'm not going to roast you over the spit on that one. Fair enough, fair enough. That's i got to be intellectually honest. I pride myself on that. I'm not going to stop being that guy. But as we look at this here, uh, I, I certainly want to uh, get some... Additional thoughts here from both of you guys. Anything we haven't covered yet about uh, the time ahead with uh, the new President Biden, uh, what's what's coming in the uh, pandemic, anything else we didn't get to, and any thoughts that you have, William, on what lies ahead in the time to come? Uh, I mean, I just would uh, reiterate what you said, uh, you know, about Trump uh, being, I mean, I don't even want to talk about the guy anymore, but I think his political uh, prospects are 
I guess it was maybe Lloyd who said this, are, 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 are slim to none. I think we are going to be rid of that era very quickly. I mean, he, he has no, uh, you know, media platform anymore. He wants to talk at CPAC, you know, good for him. I mean, I, I just think that he's, uh, he's a finished piece of business. I wouldn't be surprised if he, you know, died of ill health, uh, sometime in the next four years. I think he's just, uh, uh, finished. The era is over. Uh, and I think we're, uh, uh, heading into an era where we repair the damage that he done. he's done. And I think most Americans are going to be pretty darn happy about that. Well, I think all Americans are certainly hoping for better days ahead than what we got right now, uh, certainly. And, uh, you know, Lloyd, in, in turning to you on that note here, uh, any thoughts we didn't cover uh, uh, from you about uh, Biden, the coronavirus, and the time ahead here? Well, yeah, I'll make uh, two, two quick ones. Uh, one, uh, just for Frank, just want to get back to what uh, William said. Look, I, pr- I don't want to see President, Bi- uh, President Trump uh, in ill health. Uh, I think that may be the end result from all the stress he's going to have. I, I, I have been Trump, yeah, sorry, right to the Queen's Chronicle. I'm, uh, I live in Queens. Trump is a Queens guy. Uh, I've actually gotten to know him when he was, when he was Donald Trump, and it was more fun to schmooze with him at the Friars Club than perhaps I wasn't a big fan of President Trump. But, uh, I, I, I hope he does okay health-wise. I just don't want to see him ever get near the White House again. Uh, hopefully what happened January 6th, no American should ever forget that. Uh, the one thing I'll say for President Biden, uh, he's going to have to be careful. Maybe this one more not so much him, but more the Democratic Party. Uh, I don't we'll get a chance to address this, but I always say whenever things look like they're going the Democrats' way, and they certainly are with COVID, I think this $1.9 trillion uh, COVID relief package is very popular. Even Republicans beat down one. They may complain about some pork. Maybe the Kennedy Center is getting a few dollars. All these bills always have something. And they can cavil about it, but Americans like this is going to go through. It's certainly going to be a feather in President Biden's cap. You know what the Democrats have to be concerned about? I'm going to laugh today. What happened with Hasbro, and they got rid of Mr. Potato Head, and now it's just going to be gender-neutral Potato Head. And I think Rachel Levine, who's transgendered, is she going to be the HHS secretary? I, I believe so. They were asking. Yes. Yeah, I mean, now, let me say this very carefully. Please I do. Not, I have no problem with transgender rights. I think every American should be... Uh, not have to worry about discrimination, all the best. But these are exactly the kind of cultural things. I mean, I'm not blaming the Democrats for Hasbro, but whenever you get into kind of a, let's just say, niche market of sexuality, that, in, that creates culture wars. It takes, it always backfires on the Democratic Party. It's so, it, it, it's just amazing how something so minor can wind up, you know, taking over the media, the media narrative. I mean, it's relatively unimportant in the grand, grand scheme of things. But this is exactly the kind of unforced error that always does them in when things are looking good for them. Well, the potato head thing, you know, shouldn't the company change their name from Hasbro? I mean, that that's a kind of patriarchal name, isn't it? Uh, having bro at the end of the name, but, uh, you know. Yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll have to do that. Yeah. I know what the gender neutral is. What I Lloyd, your little tap dance uh, there as you were setting that up, I can tell you're from Queens because you gave a nice little Seinfeld-esque, not that there's anything wrong with that there as you needed to, so well done. <laughs> I, 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 I plead guilty of the cliche, but I, I, don't want any, I don't want to be getting letters here with this runs on YouTube. No, and, no, uh, no. Uh, 
transphobic, so I have to make that very clear. We understand the intent. Uh, you know, that's fine. That's fine. But I, I listen. I just I can't thank both of you gentlemen enough. This has been a really very interesting uh, discussion uh, about uh, the time ahead here and uh, what lies ahead. Uh, so, uh, William Cohen, uh, great author, uh, Wall Street uh, veteran here. Check out all of his stuff at williamcohen.com. And uh, it's still uh, ongoing uh, as a special correspondent at Vanity Fair. Uh, sometimes uh, opera ed writer for the uh, New York Times. William, it is always a pleasure, uh, sir. Thank you so much for being part of this discussion today. Thank you, Rick. Really appreciate it. And, and Lloyd, my man, uh, thank you uh, for coming back on. Uh, just uh, bringing... Uh, all of the uh, the takes, as you have any number of times, uh, the dozens of times through the years. Thank you, Lloyd. Really appreciate it as well. Well, my pleasure, Rick. And again, I want to thank you and William. This was a great discussion. Uh, uh, again, thank you with a shout out to the Queen's Chronicle. Yes. Maybe it's not Vanity Fair, New York <laughs> Times, but I'm proud of Good Times Magazine, Long Island, and uh, New York Sports Day. So. Uh, you can see my column over there as well. All right, yeah, and I'm sorry I forgot the other two there. Queen's Chronicle always comes to mind uh, on that, but uh, really, it's the, <laughs> yeah, it's, the it's, it's the Lloyd Carroll flagship, exactly. All right, again, thank you both so much, and thank you, everybody, for tuning in to FDH Lounge Mini, episode 1332.